Coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent. Your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Farmer. With me, as always, the Jedi Cole Houston. Hey, kids! Hey! You know, Comics. I like the topic tonight, and I like the topic tonight because I'll tell you right now, living in the uh, great white north uh, that is the home of the polar vortex, uh, we could use some of this where I'm from. So, uh, Cole, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight is... Uh, we're going to have a little bit of history repeating itself, or just us repeating ourselves, because tonight's topic is going to, by its very nature, kind of tread on some ground that we've already pretty well, you know, some trails we've blazed already. A little bit. Uh, so we might sound a little repetitive if your memory stretches back years of this show, because uh, ours sure as hell doesn't. And this is Desert Island Comics. Yeah. And... You know, for those of you, uh, I don't know, under the age of 30, uh, there used to be a term, uh, Desert Island Discs. And <laughs> the, the idea was that... It was laser were, discs, right? Yeah, laser discs, because they were cool. Because they were new. They were cool. Yeah, they were great. Um, if you had a laser disc player. I've seen one movie on laser disc. Wow. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was Hard Boiled by John Woo. That was the only movie I've ever seen. That's a movie you really wanted to see 20 years ago in the kind of quality that the Blu-ray delivers today. But on, on, on some, a high definition. Yeah, that way you could watch it like on the lowest definition television in the world, and it would be sublimed. It was it was even better because of that. I'll tell you that yeah. right now. It literally brought out capabilities. It was like when Intellivision made Atari games. And you be you sat there and thought, I didn't know it was capable of this. Right. You know, the the they were blowing away the parent company's stuff in the same way that the Laserdisc made your television do tricks you didn't know it had built into it. It's like the upscaling. Uh, yeah. You had an HDTV, but you didn't have a Blu-ray player, and it would upscale your uh, your DVDs. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, that's that, that looks better already. Why would I need this fancy-dancy new technology? And then you saw a Blu-ray, and you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, because we were watching... Uh, Laser discs on a 1973 Curtis Mathis Electrotron 3000, and it, I didn't realize that it literally took a black and white television and made color. It, it, is that what it did? That's, that's it how good the, te- the technology Like a mother yeah. box, it rewrote yes, the it, technology to like your RNA. entire TV. Electronic RNA. It just literally injected itself, reconfigured the entire genetic code, and no, that's complete bullshit. I've never watched a, a LaserDisc presentation. <laughs> However... Whatever. <laughs> this was a long way to go around talking about how the there used to be the concept of the desert island disc that you would have certain records that if you were stuck on a desert island, presumably with a phonograph. Sure, you got to have, but it could be one of those old cranky ones, so that well, way you, you don't need the electricity necessarily. So you could like, uh, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> it was wax cylinders. Ham. That sleep was white as snow. And now, Leonard Skinner. Um, <laughs> apparently, it. Leonard Skinner's been around a long-ass time. It was, well, it uh, was Leonard the the Elder. Leonard, oh, yeah. Leonard the Le- Younger. Leonard Sr. Um, cut a number of wax cylinders uh, with the Edison Company. That's true. <laughs> All right, what are we doing? Also present the electrocution of many an elephant. <laughs> but we are here to talk about Nikola Tesla and his indomitable and unwinnable war with Tom. No, wait, that's that's a different podcast. Are we going to talk about the Edison-Tesla war? Is that – I mean, I could. No, I, I, I get confused because I'm also on this David Bowie podcast. And you haven't invited me on yet? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm actually not even supposed oh, to talk. Oh, by the way, have, speaking of David Bowie, I, I'm yeah. sorry to make you uh, break your NDA on this David Bowie podcast. <laughs> by the way, um, I was I meant to mention it last issue and I didn't. Okay, that the um, the uh, plot of Aquaman. What was it? The uh, the defeat of the dehydrator oh, yeah. yes. is the is the same plot, I believe, as the man who fell to Earth, the uh, David Bowie movie. <laughs> oh. who, who knew? And, and and nobody's entirely sure. It was kind of one of those products of zeitgeist. It's chicken or egg, yeah. Definitely yeah. Bader mind could've, off. Everybody could've happened was either making way. movies like that. But the idea back in the day was that, you know, if you were stuck on a desert island, uh, presumably with... Uh, either a crank uh, phonograph or a uh, there was electricity provided. Perhaps sure. the professor found a transatlantic cable or transpacific cable and be odd to find a transatlantic cable in the tropics. But, uh, you know, there you have it. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you would have those discs, those records from your collection that you, if you're going to, uh, essentially starved to death eating raw crabs and uh, bits of uh, seaweed and whatever else you might be able to find uh, until the rescue arrived at last. You uh, could at least enjoy, you could chill out to, you know, some some stones or the Grateful Dead or the soon-to-be-dead in this case, depending on your uh, how much of Bear Grylls you've watched. <laughs> yeah. So I decided what would be fun. I uh, ate a about... whole salmon. <laughs> just to... it, it had had nothing to do with anything. With just the, it was there. It was uh, yeah. I mean, it was at a supermarket. I just ate. Yeah. It. I was like, "Give me that salmon." That's what I told him. Yeah. Well, you know, you have that presence that people just they, they like hand you. I'm like, "That's a nice salmon. Give it to me." <laughs> That's right. Pass over dead fish and like we haven't even gutted it yet. I don't care. I didn't say it was dead. I just ate a whole salmon. <laughs> just a floppy, floppy salmon. That's right. I'm gonna eat this grizzly bear style. That's, that's right. Just captured it in your mouth and then took it off to shore to we, devour. Can we just let's just get on with the. I can't. If you're wondering what this show is about, this is the the idea is Andy and I are going to talk about. Uh, <laughs> Game fish and our favorite <laughs> comics that we can can and do read over and over, and would sorely miss uh, as we uh, starve to death on a tropical island. And what's going to be interesting is that I think that some of these, as either a process of homogenization of Cole and I becoming the same person, or <laughs> or just their damn fine works of art, some of these are going to be the same. Yes, I think, I, or or could be. So we have not. This is is this your card? We have not discussed the trick before the show. That's so true. We'll see what happens. We knew where we're headed, but we didn't do a lot of pre work on sounding one another for what were your uh, right? What were your desert island discs in this case? And so desert finally, island without the, the a good show. <laughs> we should make a show called Desert Island Dicks. Um, about two private detectives that get stranded on a desert island and have to solve raw, and solve mysteries, raw fish there. crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it! So I'm going to let you go ahead and get oh, started. God. So that we do get started. Yeah, let's get started. Um, I guess. So th these are uh, some of the comics by way of a kind of veiled recommended reading. Um, yeah, so don't say we don't it's do it's our sort of like Alton Brown. Re yeah, we're like rebooting Good Eats. <laughs> and, and sort of revisiting past episodes and making them well, well we're not making them better this is a really clever way to couch the reoccurring issue in in a new and exciting way because people say we don't we promise to do these re these reoccurring issues that's we, true so this is a good way to do that and not have to actually do the reoccurring issue so we found a loophole suckers <laughs> all right all right all we right. won fine my my first one now i want to set some ground rule are we talking about can, can, what is the what is the vastness of the collection that you can bring with you is this like 
is 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 this like one issue, a collected, a bunch of collected that make up an arc, an you know? Like, this is the point where, like Thurston Howell the Third, you bring and Ginger Grant, you bring far more luggage than you need for a three-hour tour. Okay, okay. So on the off chance, well, I'll just that go you'll with, be stranded. If 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 I can only go with one, I'll go two books. Okay, my first one will be two collected edition. The two collected editions that I'm. And then go by with. chance, in a big ass like one of those bottles that like it was the uh, the water for the water cooler at work come in. Right. Uh, washes ashore full of more comics. Um. <laughs> then this is this is the what we will posit here. This highly unlikely scenario. This whole but show is I a think, highly unlikely yeah, scenario. I think if Gilligan's Island ta- taught us anything, you never know what's going to wash ashore. All right. So my first take, if I'm if I'm going to the desert island, the first thing that I want is Alan Moore, Stephen Bissett's uh, first two volumes of Saga of Swamp. God damn it! Yes. That is that is the first thing. That I'm that, that I'm taking. If I know, like, if I was taking a tramp steamer from here to Ireland, and I knew it was going to take three months to get there, because I don't know how. Especially because it's taking a uh, Pacific to Atlantic route. I don't know how boats work. I don't know how long <laughs> those things take. Uh, in 16 months, lads, we'll cross the Cape of Good Hope and then be on our way to Ireland. I don't know where the Ruba. I don't know the the international dateline is, or, yeah. but. But I'm, that's the book that I'm bringing. That's the first book that's going into the luggage. Um, we've talked about it a few times on the show, so, but it is, it is a masterwork of, I mean, just about every milieu, every genre of storytelling exists in these two vaults, from her to, you know, to uh, capes and tights superheroism, I think you have horror, and then you have psychological horror, and then you have shock horror. And then... <laughs> but you also have the ideas of hope and of what it means to be a person. And I think in in the in the bounds of me being trapped on a desert island, I want to be reminded by something that isn't a human being what it means to be a human being. So... That's so very true. Um, and... What Moore's, the masterstroke here was to take an existing character, and this is one of the first instances I personally encountered where someone said, let's take what you already know, right. and let's retell everything. In the course of like one or two issues of Swamp Thing, Moore recreated a character that had been around for decades. Yeah, it's amazing. So Just with a passing swath that then became it expanded the character the universe of swamp thing was altered inexorably yes i agree and if you haven't read it don't wait for your desert island go pick it up read it it is engrossing you will be able to reread it a million times and and it you'll always find new things it's never going to get old so that is my first choice, Cole. That's what I'm taking with me. And that's one of those you could read with satisfaction uh, as you languish over, you know, fighting through tropical disease and uh, scr- scrounging for some sustenance. And... Yeah, well, the other thing I'm wondering is what would <laughs> – not to cross the, uh, a threshold into complete morbidity – but if I, what would be the last thing I wanted to read as I starved to death on a desert island? I think I'd be happy reading Saga of Swamp Thing by Alan Moore right before I kicked off. Um, we also talked before the show that one of the um, that, that one of the things to consider when considering what to bring with you to a desert island or a, <laughs> or a, you know an uninhabited island if you're going to wash up ashore is. What books could you bring with you that you could theoretically start a civilization and a religion based on if you stumble That's upon true. a uh, native tribe that is yet untouched by uh, human yeah, hands? again, you know, everything we need to know about desert islands we learned from Gilligan's Island, and you might find the, uh, you know, the tribe with the uh, Keeper of Eternal Darkness, Keeper of Eternal Light, Keeper of... Yeah. I can't remember the damn rhyme now, but the, the, the guy with the... the Polynesian guy with a lighter. Yes, right. So, um, 
I would be completely okay with starting a starting a religion based on Saga of Swamp Thing. Matter of fact, it would probably um, be very ecologically friendly. Absolutely, I think it would have to be. So I think I think that that would be a, a, a good direction. So that's my first. Because you have to ask yourself, do you want a happy god or a vengeful god? Right. When you see what happens with Swamp Thing when he gets the vengeful uh, going ons. So I, I like that a lot. That is one of my all-time favorite books. And I'm going to uh, step into uh, a title that I don't know that I've given enough love to over the years of this show, and that is Marvels. Oh, okay. Okay. The mo- yeah, it, it took a history that Marvel Comics readers had it anything from a passing to a an intimate familiarity with and thrust the everyman into you finally got to see the story of what happened what is it like to be a real regular guy a yeah normal joe in a world where or you know more accurately in a city where at any moment atlantis is rising or galactus has come to devour the world and Everybody stops in New York. <laughs> I mean, you have to admit, on a grand scale, and perhaps the grandest scale, New York has the best tourism department. Hamilton have... tickets are hard to come by, man. Not if you're Galactus. Not if you're Galactus. <laughs> what if that was why? Because cats. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I want to catch a chorus line before it, before it closes. Comes off Broadway. Yeah, it's... And once it's gone, it's gone, as far as we know. I asked Eternity, and he confirmed, yes, I asked it's not coming back. But Marvels is a brilliant tale, and it was our introduction as fans to one um, Alex Ross. Was it? Was that the? Was that the real? That was the the big jumping off point there was one other sort of official major publication there was some obscure sci-fi thing that i think he did some covers for okay but the first time that we got to see alex ross brought to bear cover to cover with photorealistic watercolor and watercolor i don't know if anybody's ever tried to do watercolor outside of grade school but it's a bitch that's true that's true it is an evil medium (laughs) And there are those who can tame it, and certainly Alan Moore, Alan Moore uh, certainly uh, Alex well, Ross. Alan Moore could too. I, I don't. Alan Moore I don't doubt tames that. it, but for other purposes. That's right. <laughs> it, it, it becomes sort something. of a, a more. Well, it's like that electricity creature in that Johnny Quest. <laughs> they threw all the paint over it. Yeah. Same idea, but it's more humanoid, and it does his bidding. Right, he he uses it for ritual summoning, and yeah, well, he, he uh, it will do the laundry and also kill his enemies. That's true. That's true. It's, it's sort of a Game of Thrones meets good housekeeping. It's, it's Martha Stewart's and, uh, yeah. House Targaryen. <laughs> it's this old House Targaryen. Nice and <laughs> nice. That's good. That's remember that for Alcon. I'm sure that it falls. I'm sure that we could use it has, that. Has to be somewhere we can play with that. But it, it is such a brilliant tale because it takes you into these little vignettes from the history of the Marvel Universe, the coming of Galactus. Uh, there's an aside about Atlantis. You, you sort of arrive on the scene as, as Namor's like, eh, yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll just go back. Because when you talk about real estate, we got more than you do. That's right. You, we, we might not have Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> Galactus could get into Hamilton. Takes up 16 rows, but... He's in there. He just rips the roof off the building. Literally tears the roof off the place. Well, and he's literally chewing up the scenery. Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) He's really exploring the space. That's right. As a snack uh, during intermission. Uh, You're not going to use this for the second act, are you? Because I'm just a little... It's just a little (laughs) pecking. That's right. But it's so full of these wonderful set pieces and scenes and just the the, the wonder, and as well as the, the the story captures the sense that after a while you just kind of get used to it. Yeah. 
You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's Giant Man's crotch. And it didn't really want to be, you know. <laughs> right there. But... The chihuahua that he was stepping over. Um, you know, now I know how little Tico feels. But uh, oh. it, it, it's just brilliant on so many levels. Is it uh, is it Mark Wade or, uh, God, it's been too long and I don't it have it to hand. Was it? It wasn't Kurt. Oh, it may have been Kurt Busiak. Okay. I'm, I'm drawing a blank now. Oh, we got to look it up. we got to find out. So you put in Mar- Marvel's Alex Ross and you get Alex Ross out the wazoo. <laughs> it's Alex Ross and Alex Ross. Uh, Kurt Busiak, yes. Okay. So, you know, from the writing standpoint, you got no complaints because it is a well-crafted tale that brings you the early days of the X-Men and the mutant madness. And um, you have, you know, the... Fantastic Four battling Galactus and and Silver Surfer and, and you see the character aging from a young you know enthusiastic young reporter during World War freaking two right he sees the the invaders firsthand and then later gets to see one of those ungrateful bastards come back and try to attack the world. <laughs> That's a good choice. I like that choice. A lot. My, um... And it's one of those, I think the idea behind all of these are the sorts of things you could read again and again if that was all you had. And That's that was the point, point, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I could definitely, I have read more repeatedly, and I, and I could see myself continuing to do that. Yeah, if the, the headphone cord would stretch, I would reach <laughs> over to the spinner rack here and grab Marvels and just read it as we go. Right. <laughs> Um, I'm going to take a sort of a page from that same book for my next one. Um, my next one is two volumes, and it is uh, DC's The New Frontier by Darwin Cook and Dave Stewart. Ah, yes. Uh, following the DC Universe post um, and up to kind of the modern era, I guess more like the Silver Age. You're kind of knocking on the Silver Age um, by the end of it. But it's... Um, it's a history lesson um and some of the behind the scene the art is the art is amazing um and in that um comic strippy style that darwin uses but again you get these very very human tales of being thrown into a a a world larger than yourself and how you're going to deal with that world because it it literally starts you know after when we didn't have a Green Lantern the same way that we consider a Green Lantern today. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and it opens on a, you know, a deserted island that happens to be Dinosaur Island. Let's hope that <laughs> we don't end up on Dinosaur Island. Yeah, because yeah, we would, wouldn't even get a chance to get through the first chapter. You know, but it, but it opens on, um, but it, it opens on, um, the OSS missions of the losers, and it and then it read through with you know our man and goes through you know an early Lois Lane and you've got those scenes of um, Wonder Woman liberating um, Korea I, I believe it's Korean at that point yeah it's it's uh, Korean um, POW camps and you know and you get the birth of not the birth but the birth of the character of Martian Manhunter um, yes that was a wonderful sort of exploration of some of the things that we just it's almost like here's the history you never saw yes yes um some vignettes with the flash that are very nice some um some really nice um birth of the justice league you know aquaman's first appearance the the early batman stuff is is fantastic like like the book is everything from a superhero opus in two volumes that you can just keep rereading over and over again as the gospel of DC. And it is it is truly a fantastic read, and I would gladly put it on my um, my my bamboo and um, coconut leaf bookshelves that I would have to build for myself <laughs> um, on this island to read. Well, that's again the first thing you're going to have to build. Like it's like the whatever like whatever the 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 uninhabited no-fly zone in Godzilla 
<laughs> the, the first Godzilla movie where they went to the the quarantine area and people had like weird bookshelves built and, or what was the movie was it oh my god what was the movie that was so bad <laughs> I want to say it was uh it wasn't a Will Smith movie was it where it was like that in the no it was Tom it was Tom Cruise it was whatever movie it was where the, he lived in the the JLA Watchtower and would go out on patrols and the the people lived on the surface of the planet and Morgan Freeman was their their leader. Oh wow! I don't remember what it was called. I'll have to look it up. But but yes, the DC's New Frontier is my is my next choice. So what 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 you got, Cole? I want to go with a, a two volume set as well. All right, because you kind of have to. Right, and. This is a well from which a refreshing drink will be taken quite often uh, on this episode. Um, you know, to Oblivion was the name yeah. of the movie. Oblivion. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yes, um, we were oblivious to it there for a moment. And uh, <laughs> this is a an author uh, who, who's going to to slake my thirst during the uh, dry months when you're trying to remember what is that way you can drink seawater this is getting sexual yeah. it's either getting sexual or water world are you gonna drink your own pee again oh every every show <laughs> what do you think i'm doing right now that's right mm. i like to chill it uh the mm -hmm. uh that's the noise my pee makes <laughs> on the desert island on the desert island at least yeah i got keeps climbing up in my urethra <laughs> I like to spice it with a little cinnamon. Uh, <laughs> the, we're going to drink from the Alan Moore well, as as will be, I think, happen quite often. So just brace yourselves. Just get over it. It's Alan Moore. So shut up. And that is the two volumes that comprise Top Ten, or his run on Top Ten. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, um, and you, if you haven't tuned in on episodes where I've gushed about top ten, um, among other things, in the course of the story, it became one of the few comics that actually made me weep and does every damn time. I know exactly what's coming, and it's such a moving portion of the story, but... The idea of top ten is it's a world where everybody has some kind of superpower. Right. And as a, not only do they all have a superpower, most of them dress up like superheroes, even if they're just accountants and stuff. It's, yeah, it's exactly just the fashion. What, it's, yeah. yeah, it's exactly what House of M did poorly. Yeah, you heard it here. Wow, House hot takes tried, on House of M. Tried to do the same thing, and they did it poorly. But it ultimately is a lot of very human tales in this superhuman world where the cops are just, you know, they all have superpowers too, but they're also just the cops. Right. They're the ones who have to go out and investigate crimes or pull people over or, you know, uh, go and find the, the blind cabbie and get him off the street or... I do love the blind cabbie that believes oh that he has karmatic superpowers. <laughs> and the this underlying different cases that sort of weave into one greater case. And, uh, and then you also discover that they're precinct 10, and each precinct is a different dimension. And every dimension is a little bit different, and the prime dimension... Uh, Grand Central, as it's called, is a paradise of classical mythology. It's that part. I will be honest. So that part of that book, I was completely taken off guard by in a way that Alan, that only Alan Moore can, the picture that he can paint, never imagined in a million years because we knew that the commissioner was a, a what was essentially a Greek goddess. Yeah. And and she had been mentioned throughout. Um but then they had to go and I forget why the um 
what was his name? Peacock. Uh, oh, King Peacock. King Peacock had to go to Grand Central. Um, but upon his arrival there, after leaving his family behind and, you know, gets there and is immediately told, oh, well, you're representing your dimension, your precinct in this literal battle to the death. Yeah, they have these gladiatorial battles and, and bring in all of these. And it, what's wonderful about that is it introduces some of the other precincts that become a part of the story later on. Yes, yes. Like oh, the good. like the dimension where ever all life is artificial. It's so good. And you later meet a a, a new uh, recruit, a new cop, who is a robot. Looks a bit like a a, a petite uh, shogun warrior. Well, and, oh, that is cool too, and and that does explore issues of race and. Because the robots are looked at as an inferior race. Exactly. Oh, it's and so there, good. There's there's uh, kind of speciesism. There's uh, which is ironic because you have a character on the force who is very dismissive and and sort of racist against Joe Pie the robot, yet unbothered by the fact that one of his colleagues is a Satanist or a, a dog that talks. Yeah, yeah, a talking dog who wears a robotic suit so he can be humanoid. And it's just such a fascinating tale. And then throughout, and I'm sure I've gushed about this before, is there's all these wonderful subtle nods to everything oh, in yeah. the world. Uh, you can look around and spot Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters and little nods to different, you know, it, it's it's obvious that that's meant to represent a certain character, even though it doesn't, you know, they, they can't get away with it just being blatant. Right. Oh, and, it's good. But it covers everything from, you know, very human aspects, religion, disease, uh, and then just good old street-level police work. And it's a good police, and on top of all of that, on top of all of, like, the the high fantasy and high science science fiction superhero aspects comic book aspects it's what Alan Moore would do if you let him have a police procedural yes exactly that's the thing that's amazing is like at its root at its you know it's it's NYPD blue you know with superheroes it's not superheroes doing police work it's police doing police work that happen to be superheroes and that's the coolest part is that it's solid it's a solid police procedural too exactly it's cool it's a great book it's a great book um good choice good choice i hope we get stranded together i know that way at least one of the seats yeah i was gonna say if, if i go you can have parts of my body there's, there's certain parts <laughs> it's my favorite Whitney i consider talk. yeah i consider certain parts uh sacred Sacrosanct? So, yes, indeed. Um, all right, speaking of sacrosanct. Sacrosanct or swim. <laughs> Damn it. Um, <laughs> I realize I've been leaning really heavily on the DC side of things, so I'm going to jump to the two volumes on the Marvel side that would be the first ones I would pack. Um, and that would be the, um, the Winter Soldier Volumes 1 and 2 from Captain America, as written by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting, um, arted it up. It is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best written, best um, portrayed mysteries that I've ever read in comics. Um, because at the time, keep in mind, this is before the, the Winter Soldier. Though they didn't do a poor... A, a, like, Winter Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie, and they did not do a poor job translating the story to the big screen. But in comic book form, Bucky was one of those characters... That you did that, that was dead and never coming back, and you didn't touch that. We we talked we talked often about you know the revolving door. We've talked on the show. We've had shows about the revolving door. That is death in comic book. Bucky was one of those that never was going to come back. How long was he dead? For? He was dead easily forty years, yeah. maybe. Yeah, and they were they were pretty vocal about we're never going to bring Bucky back. Like this oh, yeah. is it. So when this Winter Soldier enemy 
the bad guy villain started showing up in Captain America um, and doing his his dastardly handiwork as as one of the greatest assassins ever. You know, long hair. The only thing that would tie him back to Bucky in any way, shape, or form is the domino mask because he had aged a little bit, unlike Cap. Um, you know, you really had no idea who this guy was going in until the big reveal, which is given to you in flashbacks. Yeah. So you, you start getting the idea that this guy was taken by Hydra and brainwashed into being this ultimate killing machine. But you still, until the big reveal, until Cap looks kind of, you know, <laughs> down the barrel of the camera and says, Bucky, question mark. And then you're like, oh, holy shit. It's it comes like that next generation. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, what? What? And then it just goes even more nuts because you realize he's brainwashed, has no idea who Cap is. So yeah. until they can break that brainwashing, you know, he's he's Bucky the Winter Soldier, and he's tasked with killing Captain America. So it's heartbreaking in that, too. Just like, almost like I would say, it was in the, you know, they didn't do a bad job in, in, in Captain America Winter. But in the comic, you know, Cap wants so badly because it represents so many things and so many emotions this tie to the past that he doesn't have with anywhere else because like we say on the show how bad is it to wake up and not be able to get a good chicken fried steak let alone <laughs> know anyone that's not literally dying right then of old age um, and to have that back and have that be still staring you down in, you know, in your face and still be completely disconnected no way of, of, of recognizing you but outside of wanting to kill you because that's what your task it's it's a fantastic book it's a fantastic mystery i've read it seven or eight times and it keeps me wrapped every single time i'll finish it in one sitting um it's great it's great it's one of those that will absolutely come with me that's what i got all right well i'm gonna have to wash ashore with a big old steamer trunk <laughs> because <laughs> uh, my next choice <laughs> yes is gonna take uh, a lot more space. It's not oh, no. just a, a compact couple of volumes. Okay, okay. But I have, I can have read over and over the um, the seminal work of one uh, Chili Willy Billy Willingham. There you go. And the raw tonnage of fables. Yeah, baby. I think it writes itself. I think you just get blank books and then it fills itself in, right? It does, pretty much. Uh, often joked in the ages past that it was the first thing Willingham ever finished. <laughs> because yeah. he kind of ebbed and flowed with elementals. He would went away for a while, came back for a while. It got good again, then he went away just in time for it to get bad uh, because he wasn't there. And... Um, Fables is not only something that he finished, he just kept finishing it. I mean, it, <laughs> and, and ultimately took it full circle, but dear Lord. It's a good point. Uh, there are, the concept was all of the classic fairy tales of primarily, you know, European fairy tales that we're all familiar with um, that became popularized uh you know, the types of things that the Brothers Grimm collected out of spoken folklore, the types right. of things that Walt Disney made a career out of because, hey, they were public domain. They belonged to the world. And he found a way to make them to belong to Walt. Right. And it, all of these characters in their own realm were real. And then all of a sudden, some just crushing enemy just ran roughshod over all of these different realms and these are the refugees who found the way to the actual world the world that for all intents and purposes had created them right and he not only brings in the you know the classic fairy tale fables but even the kinds of things that more contemporary relatively contemporary authors that is to say stories that weren't around for tens of thousands of years or thousands of years or what have you. Uh, probably not tens of thousands, but uh, 
Spencer, you ask, but uh, even characters like uh, Mowgli in, from the Jungle Book. Right. And uh, even, uh, I'm not sure they're contemporaries. I think we're talking uh, with um, even more recent, relatively speaking, uh, even the characters from Animal Farm. Oh, really? Or no, no, I stand corrected. Not the characters from Animal Farm. Uh, basically, the three little pigs become central characters. And what's amazing is the level to which Willingham has researched all of these characters. The fact that, you know, most people don't realize the three little pigs had names. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, the only one I can conjure up at the moment is Colin. But the, all three of them actually had names. And uh, things like uh, Snow White's sister, Re uh, Rose Red. Yeah, yeah. And he's mean, like, what the hell? I didn't realize. <laughs> I mean, he's never, ever shied away from the research that... Yes, and the, the one of the most amazing, brilliant maneuvers in this is to have Prince Charming be the prince from every classic Prince Charming tale. So he ultimately, his exes <laughs> are Snow White and... Cinderella, and you know he he was the prince for all of these different princesses, right? Yeah, Same he's guy. the universal, and it it takes all of these concepts and they basically have this community in exile in what they call the Mundy world or the mundane world, which you know if if like myself you uh, had ever read any of Piers Anthony's Xanth novels, you were sort of like, well, that's what they called us too, was mm -hmm. the mundane. Not sure how you got away with that, but oh, we'll, we'll give it to you. Um, but then how the war follows them. Yeah. And then there's other just brilliant uh, tales that as they become uh, contacted by the uh, Arabic folk tales. Yes. And meet the likes of Sinbad and Alibaba, and uh, it's cool. It's and really Lat cool. And, and it's like holy crap! And then there's like one whole uh, sort of standalone uh, uh, where Snow White goes to uh, entreat with a caliph in the uh, in the Arabic realms, and uh, winds up kind of taking on the, the Thousand and One Nights. Uh, where she's spinning tales about all, the, and it's just wonderful little vignettes and about what was going on during the war, and brings in characters like the Aslan uh, from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and and all these other folk tales, and, and some of these tales become so incredibly touching, and and then before we knew what being Martha was all about, I got Martha by one of the characters known simply as Flycatcher, and I never made the connection early on that he was the Frog Prince. Oh, okay. That's cool. And to take the idea of the Frog Prince and make his him a tragic character. And and the thing yet is... Yet again made me weep. And this, what you're talking about, volumes and volumes uh, to comprise the entire print run. And, and there's no... The cool thing about this is he stumbled upon, like you said with Disney, I would, I would almost consider it a similar, you know, gambit where you have no end of material. Yes. And, and as long as you're willing to create and find something that, because I think the thing about Chili Willingham is when he gets bored, he gets bored. And when he gets bored, he's out. Yeah. So as long as he has something that catches his interest that he can do the research on and create, I don't see it ever actually stopping as long as he can just keep coming back to that you know, back to the well and just making more. Well, and then to have spun off um, playing the idea that Jack, that there was also only one Jack in all of these folk tales. So Jack and the Beanstalk and Jack be nimble and um, Jack the Giant Killer are all one and the same person. Right. Even down to being the source of Jack O'Lantern. Oh, really? in one tale and it's just like holy crap that is brilliant and he's ever the trickster ever the con artist that's awesome and then to the ultimate reveal of who their enemy has been the this dictator that has come and just destroyed everything 
Well, don't spoil it for him. And we will not spoil it, but dear God, it is the stroke of genius. <laughs> it's one of those things that I wonder how long he had that up his sleeve. Oh, you can tell that they were playing a long game that was even longer, even after the reveal, when the Fable community takes the war back to their enemy. Yeah. And, dear God, that was one of the most moving things I've ever read, where Bigby goes and confronts face-to-face and leaves an ultimatum. Well, I think... um... I think our ship's going to leave pretty soon, so I think we got time to talk about one more each before yeah, we got to... Yeah, it's so hard to decide what to take with you, you know, what to what to rescue from the burning building or to hop off the boat with in your arms when people are imploring you to take a life preserver instead of heavy comic trade paperback. <laughs> well, so I'm of two minds. If this is going to be the last one that I can bring, I... I think I'm going to have to go with the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol omnibus. Um, I'm torn between that and the Animal Man omnibus. Uh, The Animal Man definitely would be more mainstream, but I think the Doom... If I was going to go to a place and use something to base a new religion on, (laughs) the... The Doom Patrol omnibus would probably be the way to go. Um, it's so esoteric and weird, and you want to talk about finding something that you literally didn't see before on every single page? <laughs> that's the way, that's the one to do it. Plus, it's couched in, you know, a, a, a golden age comic book story with, you know, with Robot Man and Negative Man and um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Elast- uh, I want to say Elastigirl. Elast- yeah, Elastigirl and Doctor Calder's and um, you know Chief. Yeah, the Chief and all the. So you're taking all of that original, the original concept of all of that, and then you're making it so super weird and super esoteric, and you've got the Dada. Um, what did they call themselves? It was the Dada Gang or oh, something. Something, yes. Where it was, you know, and it, their goal wasn't to, you know, perpetrate evil, but so just complete chaos. Um, and and you got introduced to um, and you got introduced to the street, the sentient street that moves from place to place. Um. And and that's where they lived at, you know, for the majority. I guess the 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 second half is they lived on a sentient street that would move with them, you know, that would that would transport them, but also served as their base of operations. Danny and the street. Danny the street. Yes, um, it's so weird and per- almost perfect. If you're into anything outside of the norm. And you have not read anything by Grant Morrison yet, which would be hard. You'd be hard pressed to do that. But you know everything from his stuff on Batman with with Batman Incorporated, his stuff with the you know the brilliant Justice League, um, re, the JLA reboot that he did that was based on the Greek gods, which we've talked about. Um, I think on like the third issue of this show or something. But this is. I, I'm going to refer to this as the culmination of his genius was done in taking the idea. It, it's an Alan Moore level taking an, an existing idea and just spinning it into insanity. Um, you know, Invisibles is good, but Invisibles, I think, is even too far the other side of esoteric to be what this is, which is just a great comic book with a classic comic book team that they just take in the most bizarre weird directions possible and uh yeah that's what i'm taking plus um it's real heavy and if push comes to shove i think we can probably use it as some sort of weaponry <laughs> well that's true There's, that's the nice thing about the omnibuy they're usually pretty heavy duty stuff the omnibuy are going to be on that island i'm not going it's not, you don't have a choice <laughs> All right, what do you got, man? Well, this is 
going to seem fairly obvious, and with apologies to so many other places I would love to go, uh, you know, apologies to Saga and Astro City and the indomitable Starman. Oh, yeah. To, oh, God, so many titles. Uh, Kingdom Come and Identity Crisis things that I just genuinely enjoy reading over and over. And uh, I, I'd have to go with Watchmen because I can, <laughs> for the last 20 years or more, I've been, however long the hell it's been out, almost 30 years, about 30 years now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, so for 30 years, on uh, annually, I have read Watchmen three to five to eight times a year. Cover to cover, I you know I could practically recite even the stuff in the back of each issue, Mark. <laughs> but I have to go back and look at that. And to this day, I still see little things I'd never noticed. And that is something that no other book has ever done for me. And you know the the connection with Catherine, I you know that was Catherine's entree into comics. All of that notwithstanding, it's just simply. Nothing has yet come close to – or some things have come close, I think. But nothing has ever toppled it from the lofty position I've given it as the single best comic in the history of the medium. It is, without a doubt, the apex and what what I really – I really firmly believe that this current – iteration of comic book creators is trying to achieve I think it is the thing that is that is put upon the pedestal and said if, if this is what you can do if you can make something close to this you will be successful you can consider yourself a successful artist we've yeah. all been indoctrinated at the altar of Watchmen all the current comic book creators all the current um artists they're they all of us all of them they have been indoctrinated on the watchmen as the alpha and the omega of what a comic book should be i think absolutely and so it's hard you know it almost seems a little redundant because you know, you you virtually roll your eyes every time it comes up, but at the same time, you know that I can't help but talk about it because it is the seminal work. I roll my eyes in jest because I. Oh, absolutely! I, I mean, I know you you understand. The reality. I stand with you on on the importance of. It's almost like that thing where I almost look at this issue of Hey Kids Comics, not even like like you were saying, the burning building or the desert island, yes, true, but almost the time capsule that we knew would be open 300 years from. Oh yeah, this is the sort, these are the comics I want once peace has been made with V'ger. <laughs> I want them to find microfilms of these within the original Voyager shell. So that, but that's what I'm, but that's what I'm saying. Like Watchmen would be the first book. I would put it in the same, you know, I would put it in with the, you know, Carl Sagan's Golden Record and, you know, that's a, right. a, a, a copy of, you know, the Man in the High Tower with the edges bent and whatever, you know, whatever we consider the height of our art, Watchmen gets included in that category. Yeah, I mean, something else is just going to have to be left off the damn ship. Because I mean, it's a it's a ponderous volume, and I own. Uh, I think I eventually gave away a couple of my older trade paperbacks, but I owned for many years the, about four copies of the trade paperback in different editions. Sure. Uh, there was like the uh, the one that would have gone to bookstores under Warner instead of DC, and then I owned uh, a copy of the. Uh, I think we had two copies of the hardcover edition that um, Graffiti Designs put out that wasn't even published by DC. Yeah. And then we have the DC hardcover and the giant ass, I forget what they called those 
giant volumes where everything was like supersized. It was like they realized that, you know, 30, 40 years from now, really old people would be wanting to read their copies of Watchmen. And it's kind of like the large print edition. <laughs> it's yeah. this gigantic slipcase ponderous tome that reprints the entire uh I think I still have two copies of the Watchman portfolio. We have the Watchman watch and the original comedian button. I mean anything that we could touch for Watchman. I was so disappointed with DC that they dropped their Watchman line of action figures and it'd be years later that Mattel would finally give us the entire principal cast right. in action figure form and frankly better. Um, but, you know, if it was a Watchman, I had to have it. Well, I mean, it's still until, the case, though, right? Well, until, like, whatever the... the uh, I, I have yet to, to finally indulge and try to give it a chance, but the, uh, whatever the hell that travesty was that came out. The, oh, the after Watchmen? Yeah. Right. Or before Watchmen, or... Whatever it was. Yeah. The prequel. All right, all right, all right. I think it's time we... It's time to hit Danny the Street. Yeah, that's true. That, that's accurate. It is. It's time to hit Danny the Street and get on out of here and uh, and let us um, let us go on our vacation. Speaking of vacation, is this the last issue before we go on Alcon hiatus? This is, yeah. We're going to go ahead at uh, 304 issues. Uh, go ahead and... Uh take some time away because I've got a crap ton of game shows to write. Yes, you do. And not to mention all the other moving parts of several of the game shows that need to be attended to. And the uh, guest bedroom is and will remain full of a crap ton of prizes. But that's not but that's not saying that we're not going to have content because we are going to have content. Um we are going to be curating some issues of Hey Kids Comics that you might not have heard. Um, we're going to be getting those up so that everybody can listen to some of our favorites as sort of an entree into what we've done for the past 304 issues of Hey Kids Comics. Um, so we're going to give you a little bit of a, you know, a history of the show as well as you know allowing us the time and especially Cole the time to prepare for what is looking like it's going to be the most intensive largest um, um, Alcon yet. Yes, if you're unfamiliar, all-con.org be sure and check out Alcon. It's four days of just non-stop over 400 thing, tracks of uh, you know, different workshops panels celebrity guest interviews game shows my my two talk shows are back again this year because I love doing my talk shows I love uh, plying the audience with my dollar store finds and oh we've got some doozies this year and uh, and of course as group captain of games in theory the Alcon game show track I can't wait to roll out we have an amazing team this year. More game shows than we've ever had in the 14th year of game shows at Alcon. And Alcon itself is 15 years old. It's been amazing to watch it grow. What the hell? And I also just saw that um, Boomer from the original Battlestar Galactica just, just signed on. Oh, my on. God. Yes. Did he now? Yes, sir. Boomer. Apparently, I have not checked it. In yeah. several hours, because... It just was posted that Herbert Jefferson Jr., along with Ann Lockhart and Jack Stauffer, are going to be there this year. So it's going to be an original Battlestar reunion at Alcon this year. That's amazing. And let me tell you, I've, I've had the good fortune to work with Ann Lockhart oh, yeah. at conventions, and she is just an absolute dear. And uh, I'm... Just, it was amazing to sit at table with her and moderate panel, uh, and find out about some amazing behind the scenes stuff. 
And a lot of people complain, you know, who don't get what all cons about. They're used to going to these, not that there's anything wrong with it, but these big autograph shows. And they're like, well, you know, that, they don't get the big celebrities. And it's like, and they don't charge you $60 a day either. They don't charge you $60 for four days. And you also don't get the the access, I would say, the intimate moments with those celebrities the way you would and the stories that you would get out of the celebrities at Alcon. Oh, yeah, you're not just corralled past these guys while you right. pay 20 to $100 for their autograph. You have to sit and talk to them. They come and engage people on the show floor. Yeah. And it's not uncommon to uh, see the uh, Alcon director... Uh, Todd Carlton being chased around by Camden Toy, uh, who will be <laughs> or a, Doug just Jones back, for that or Doug Jones, or any any number of celebrities. Uh, on a you know on a deeply personal level, it's been amazing to have access to their celebrity pool. Like, hey, if such and such isn't busy, could they come be on a game show or a talk show? Uh, the folks from Match Game, even the Geek Match Game that Catherine and I produced, have always benefited from having access to their celebrities. Uh, yeah. And uh, to, you know, to get to play with, uh, especially with, with folks that I grew up watching, like uh, Wesley Urie and uh, Kathy Coleman from the original Land of the Lost, it was just a treat. And and the fact that that's part of the way they book their guests, you know, they don't want a guest who's just all, all there to sit and write their name and make money all day. They want a guest who's going to come out and, uh, you know, there's a story I tell about. I think the first year Cam was uh, at Alcon many years ago, and we're all sitting around having breakfast, and uh, on like a Saturday or Sunday morning of the show, it's like it was a Saturday morning of the show, and uh, he comes around and says, "Can I sit with you guys?" And I, I just felt like saying, "You know, you're sitting here diminishes your fame. Are you sure you want to do this?" But you know, that's. The kind, the level of guests that they get, the ones who genuinely love the fans, and and if you ever get a chance to see Wesley and Kathy, and they they tour all kinds of different shows all over the country, go and see them, and and just enjoy. They're the most wonderful, sweet people. Yeah, one hundred percent. As is Kevin Toy and uh, Neil Kaplan, and so many who've come through Alcon over the years, and I've had the good fortune to be able to to play around with them and uh, uh gerald home who was you know people like oh he was just like squid head in java's palace but no he's got so many wonderful tales to tell <laughs> all right all right so that's what we're doing in the coming weeks um you know there will be content keep refreshing your feed it's going to be great um cole do you have anything else that you want to plug before we get out of here well, if you're in Texas, where I'm sure Andy would like to be right now, yes. uh, on temperature alone, yes, uh, that uh, you should uh, check out Convention Awareness Project Texas at cap-tx.info. It's been a long time since I plugged that. That's true. Uh, I'm finally getting most of the uh, early uh, 2019 stuff up um, because you can't go if you don't know. And uh, it's been a resource for about six or seven years now for uh, people in the Lone Star State to find all kinds of you – know, every convention of fan interest in one spot. I, I check out all kinds of other sites. Every You can find everything I list somewhere, but mine is the only site that has gone to the trouble of tracking every single one of them down. And, of course, uh, this Sunday – you know, when this hopefully I think this will air before. Uh, Isle of Toys is switching place with Figments. So oh yeah, it's a special first, Sunday. Yeah, first Sunday of the month. Uh, Eddie Medina and the the Vega Bomber, PJ Dunn, and I will be talking about toys that became television shows, comics, and movies. Yeah. And it came from the toy box. Into that. That's awesome. That's at Dallas on Air. Dot com from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Central, followed immediately by the Rantcore Pit Live. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at HK Comics Show. Um, and we'll continue to update those uh, while we're on hiatus as well. Seriously, I can't stress enough how enjoyable AllCon is. It's I know it seems like a lot for us to be taking a month off in order to prepare. It 
it is a lot for us believe me we us us walking away for a month is hard but worth it when you come to Alcon and you see what is so please take the time even if it's for one day we want you there all weekend come enjoy it with us you will have fun you will enjoy it you will walk away with music that get literally anywhere else um so and that is uh, march 14th to the 17th in addison texas that's right and march 14th that thursday is free that is a so free it's a thursday. tryout day it's been a tryout day since the first year they went four days and it's never changed. You can still, to this day, go to Alcon on the first day for free. Try it out. You're going to love it. You're going to go buy your badge. Trust me. And you're also not getting a half-assed day out of that either. That That's is so a- true. There is something going on all day long, every day. We make damn sure of that. That's right. All right. So buy, collect, enjoy your comics, even if it's to prepare to uh, exist on a desert island with something to entertain yourself. Uh, keep that in mind when you're buying comics. It's important. Um, all right. Uh, say goodnight, Cole. That's right. You never know when you're going to get transported to a desert island yonder style. That's so, true. Uh, That's true. <laughs> we got to keep that in mind. Damn it. Yeah, always be mindful. And good night, everybody. We'll see you uh, after all cons. Sometime after in all late con. early April. That's right. All right. Good night, everybody. After all cons, everybody. Yeah, go to the all con. Good night.